Good morning. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be together outside. Um, we're still outside. I don't know if you noticed. It's been a while. Uh, someday we will be back inside, and I think some of you are going to miss it a little bit, okay? I just want to say that this morning. So appreciate it. Some of you are going to miss being in a nice, low beach chair for church service. And so we'll be back inside, and I was thinking maybe we could have like a... Um, like a section for you people, like a tropical section uh, where you could bring a beach chair, uh, maybe an umbrella, you know, whatever kind of just like, you know, brings back the good uh, 2020 vibes. So, but for now, we just get to enjoy it, um, relax. I know the college kids, you guys don't bring your own chairs, okay? Uh, it's very, very privileged to just walk in, <laughs> grab a chair, do whatever you please. Uh, I know you're poor, but chairs are $5. Anyway, we're going to start a college kid a, a sponsorship program here to sponsor a chair for a college kid in need. <laughs> it's not in the notes, but all right. We, uh, I, was talking, <laughs> I was talking this week with uh, a friend, and he was telling us, you know, I, I was talking to a guy who went on one of your men's retreats. We do a, a men's retreat every year that we call Men's Advance, and we do that obviously because it's cool. Uh, to call it a men's advance and not a retreat. And so we go away together, and uh, it's just one of the best times of the year. And a couple years ago, uh, we had one, in, and uh, this guy was telling a story. He said, man, one of my friends went on that trip, and he just never stops talking about that last night that you guys had. And uh, on the last night of the men's advance, it's customary to stay up very late, and uh, we would order uh, like a fourth meal of sorts, uh, pizza delivery, and we just kind of pretend like um, we can handle that as men, and um, we don't have like, you know, like people at home that would be telling us like, you're too old for this, you know? And um, so we do that, and then in the morning, we pretend like we're not tired, right? That's like very customary. And so uh, a couple years ago, we did, we did one, and, and um, we just stayed up late, and we, we got to, you know, worship God. We are opening up scripture. We're in a packed room together full of men just singing songs to Jesus, and then we walked outside, and Xavier brought the grill and the barbecue, and we're just cooking up all this food. I brought some pictures of it. Some of you were there, and this is a very, um, you know, this is a top 10 moment in your life. And uh, some of you are looking at these pictures right now, and it's very triggering. You're like, I'm pretty sure that, would, that sort of feast would be illegal in 2020. And honestly, I think it should still be illegal uh, forever um, because it was just an ungodly amount of food, just meats just coming off the grill, guys just grabbing whatever off, straight off the grill. But when someone says, I was there, and that was an incredible night, I think that deep down, it wasn't just because of a bunch of great food. And we've all had a variety of great food before, right? We've all been to the Sizzler, okay? <laughs> but I get excited when someone talks about that night because I know that the guys experienced just the fellowship and the community of God's people together. That We got to sing and worship loudly. We got to celebrate together life and food and joy and laughter. We got to be the people of God. And this series that we're starting this year with, ReChurch, it's this idea that we wanna just look at what it means to be the people of God. And so the way we do this, of course, is we make a list right now. But we are gonna cover all sorts of these topics, and this is our second week, and we're gonna talk about being a son-confessing people of God. We've got a big old list that we're gonna get through in the next few weeks. We'll put it up on screen. The spirit-filled, son-confessing, scripture-keeping, sacrament-observing, spirit-united, sanctifying, submitted to godly leadership, sent and scattered people of God. That's a lot of things, okay? We were gonna make a t-shirt for the sermon series. Could not afford that much ink, okay? 
But this is what we're gonna be doing. This is where we're headed, all right? And this morning, we're gonna be focusing on this idea of us being the son-confessing people of God, all right? So we're gonna look at this passage in John chapter 10, and Jesus answers a question, and we're gonna see Jesus confessing himself, declaring who he is. And we're gonna stop a bit and talk about what it means for us to be son-confessing people of God. And then particularly, I wanna stop at the end and just talk about what this means in our culture right now, in our current climate, in, in culture and politics, and in and, and this world that seems very polarized, very divisive, and, and how we as the people of God be just a simple Christ-confessing people, all right? So we'll get into it. John chapter 10, verse 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly, all right? So it seems like a very simple request. Hey, are you the Messiah, okay? Probably not a question you get asked a lot yourself personally, but this made sense at the time given what he had done. Are you the Messiah? And maybe Jesus had not been clear enough. I mean, you look at a question like that, maybe he just needs to say it more clearly. They're seeking clarity. That's a reasonable question. But then we see how Jesus responds, and it seems to him at least that this was not a reasonable question. He says, look at verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. So according to the perfect wisdom of Jesus, it's not a uh, an issue of the messenger. It's not an issue of the message. The issue is with the heart of the listener. And the New Testament is filled with analogies for this and what's happening here. And the Bible talks a lot about he who has ears to hear, let him hear the good news. And the Bible gives us an illustration that's one of the most powerful, the idea of the soils. Whoever has a heart of good soil to receive the good news of the gospel. And so Jesus says here, you do not believe. I think the first thing in particular that um, we wanna consider this morning is this idea that we confess Jesus alone. That as Christ confessing people, we confess him alone. That he's fully God and that he's the only God. And so often why people don't receive this truth is because they're looking for a version of God that they think God is. Or they're just looking for a lesser God to add to their collection of gods. So we see all throughout culture, Old Testament and New Testament. And I'm a minimalist, I like minimalism. I like reading books about minimalism, but it's a, it's a trick. You can't get too many books about minimalism, then you're not a minimalist. You can only have a couple, right? And our kids, we have two small girls. They, have, they share a room, they each have um, a jewelry box. Before Christmas, we had two jewelry boxes. I just took inventory. After Christmas, we now have five jewelry boxes, okay? So this week, we will be going down to zero jewelry box. No, one jewelry box, ideally, possibly two, okay? Minimalism purging things and simplicity. God is a minimalist, okay? He is God. That's it. We just need one God. We find the best God and we stick with that God. We see all throughout scriptures that when, when God's people followed God rightly, whether it was in the Old Testament or the New Testament, their monotheism was so strong and, and, and counterculture that it often led to their own persecution. And we see from all sorts of other nations or, or the Jewish people in times of rebellion that they would conquer a nation and then they would just take their gods. And the idea is just, well, more is better. More things that could possibly help us or serve us or, or accomplish the things that we want. 
It's a religion of superstition and collecting idols. But God is not to be another good luck charm that's just kind of put on our shelf in our house. And as Christ-confessing people, we have to declare what, what Colossians 1 says, that Christ is preeminent, he's supreme above all else. He's the only true God, the only savior. We confess Jesus alone. I think whether it's 2000 BC or 2000 AD, and the history of civilizations is a history of man saying, I'm just gonna pluck and glean whatever little sort of bits of wisdom or good luck charms or comfort or protection I can gather, all while I follow my own path towards what I really want, right? It's religion. The people of God are not supposed to be like this. The people of God are a son-confessing people. And we, de we declare that the son is not just a piece of the puzzle, that he is the puzzle, he's the whole thing. And he's just not a stop along the road or a map to get us down the road, but he is the road, he is the fullness of all things. He's not just a treasure in the treasure box, he is the fullness of the treasure. He's not just a key that unlocks our desires, he is our desire. He's not a Sherpa that brings us to the top of the mountain. He, he is the peak of the mountain. And I got about six more analogies if you guys need them, okay? We can stop. And go back to verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. It's hard to believe when you're not looking for the right thing. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. So Jesus then takes this section, he launches into a very familiar section about the sheep and the shepherd. And he says, you don't believe because you don't belong to me. You don't hear my voice. You don't follow me. The ones who belong to me, they will follow me. And Jesus performed all sorts of miracles in front of all sorts of people. And some believed and some did not. And the people now standing in front of Jesus are just believing, you know, he hasn't been clear enough to us. We would like to receive you, but you need to articulate. And Jesus says, no, my sheep hear my voice. It's a humbling thing to belong to Jesus. And then we see in verse 30, very simple terms. I and the Father are one. I think what Jesus is uh, really making sure there is like, hey, you guys might have been thinking about like stoning me for blasphemy. I'm just gonna like make this really easy on you. I am God, actually, yeah. And then we see verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him, okay? So they're ready for it. And Jesus answered them, verse 32, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. And so here we see the folly of man playing out. Their hearts are hard, and so their only response is simply a rejection of faith by their own wisdom. You cannot be God. And what a moment in history this would be, right, that these men are now picking up stones, looking into the face of Jesus, 
ready to kill him with stones that of course he created, right? And they declare, you cannot be God because we would know better. And of course, Satan loves that kind of thinking, right? Because this is the opposite of the creation of man. God says in Genesis, let us make man in our own image. But then the heart of man says, let us create God in our own image, right? Let us decide for ourselves what God is like, what God can or cannot do, what he can say, what is fair for God to do, how God should or should not act in this world. That is for me to decide. And when we think this way, we're, we're, we are rebelling against our own existence because we were created to reflect God, not to define God, not to decide what God can or can't be. And so I think the second thing we see really clear is that we, we confess Jesus by the grace of God, not by the wisdom of man. Passage like this is really important for us because so many so many of our testimonies as Christians include you know, seasons of life of pursuing truth and maybe you had seasons where you're just pouring through books and just reading about God and the things of God and asking questions and seeking answers and, and we love apologetics and we love seeking the truth of God. But the sheep of God look at their position in the flock of God and ultimately they, they declare, I'm here by the grace of God. Amen? Yeah. And so, Village Church, we look at a passage like this on a morning like this, and we just declare simply, we are a son-confessing church. We confess that this is a great God and a great gift, yeah? So I thought it'd be good for us to save a good chunk of time to, to look at this in our own context, in our own life. And I was thinking this week, I don't, you know, I personally don't have a bunch of like shrines in my house to any like false gods or goddesses. Um, if you do, we talk after. I don't burn incense to anything. We burn stuff in the toaster oven often. It has its own like aroma, very different. But yet we struggle with idolatry as people, right? And in particular, in the last few years, I think what's been really helpful for us is to take politics and culture and 24-hour constant news media and then add um, social media and just like see what happens, you know, for 10 years. I think it's been a really good experiment that we've been trying as people. And I think it's going really well, right? Yes? Okay. <clears throat> but we've seen people declaring all sorts of things and declaring their allegiance to all sorts of things. I think when we look at passages like this and we look at who God is, I think we look back on these years and this season, I think we're gonna look back with greater clarity and see that our country and our culture was not increasingly engaged with the media. Our country was not increasingly engaged with politics. Our country was increasingly engaged with religion, right? Because our gods can be a whole lot of things. And I think at the core of it, our gods are whatever promises to put us in the driver's seat towards the place that we wanna go and we think this world should go. And I think as God's people who are Christ-confessing people, that gives us a very specific role for each other. I think first is that 
as God's people, like we've talked about, Matt's talked about this many times over the past few months, that, that we respect each other's views that are outside of being explicitly defined in scripture, right? Views on politics and culture and things that are not laid out for us by Christ. We care for each other, we listen to each other, we seek the best for other people. But then second, God's people are called as the flock of God to pull each other away from any sort of idolatry, whether it's idolatry of a movement, a, a policy, a party, a person, and I think we, we see what this looks like when we define idolatry in its simplest terms. It's a lot easier to see when we define idolatry simply that we're surrounded by things that are trying to pull our hearts in a certain direction. I think one of my simplest ways I like to do it is just, <laughs> idolatry is anything that we just put our hope and trust when we don't, where it doesn't belong. We put our hope and trust in, in a place where it doesn't belong. Psalm chapter 20, verse, verse seven, I love it. It says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Very few horse owners here, very, very few chariot owners in our midst. <laughs> but what chariots represented to those people in those days? Safety, protection, I cannot be defeated. I have a backup plan. My plans will unfold the way I want because I have a chariot. <laughs> Sounds awesome to have a chariot. Do you see it? The root of these things is there for us in our hearts, right? I think the extreme polarization that we've seen in the last year even, in everything, right? Like, like you're like, I have to Google if I'm allowed to like, you know, shop at this store right now because I don't know what battles are going on in culture and I don't know if I'm allowed to eat this flavor of ice cream because I don't know what political party that puts me in, you know, based on the day, right? And I think the polarization should remind us that we have something simpler and more deeply profound that we've been called to, to be Christ-confessing children of God. And I will forever, because I actually love it, debate politics and policies but I only worship Christ. That should be my aim, right? I'll debate political candidates because it's fun, right? And because it matters. But I'll only worship Christ. Christians should care about politics because politics impacts people and we love people. Christians should care about the news because the news is about people and we love people, but we don't worship our desires. We don't worship our outcomes. And we see that our desires don't become idols because the result is then we just become less and less like Christ. And the way we think and speak and act can quickly become nothing like Christ. And I know I've been guilty of this many times in many years, even though you know, I think I'm super smart. When I watch like a debate, I'm like, I, I, I wanna be in that debate. You know? <laughs> I wanna ask you three questions as we finish today and you know, these are three questions that I pulled out of the depths of psychology and research and peer-reviewed scholarly articles. And, um, and I brought them here to the common people. And uh, hopefully you can just dive into academia with me. And these are the questions. The first one is, are you okay? <laughs> and the second one is, are you going to be okay a year from now? And the third one is, how do you know that? Do I need to read those again? <laughs> 
think about our topic this morning, I think about these three questions, and I think, you know what? Our answer to all three of these questions should be a son-confessing answer, right? I am okay because Christ is on the throne, because my sins are forgiven by his blood, and because whatever days I'm given in this life with whatever wealth I have or don't have, with whatever health I have or don't have, with whatever leaders I submit to, whatever jobs I have to work, these days belong to Christ. (laughs) And if he decides to wake me up tomorrow, then he must have a good plan for it, so I'm good with that. I'll, I'll give it one more day. And so I'll love God and I'll love others for another day. Of course, when we say something like, are you okay? We mean this in the ultimate sense that we are okay, but we're a church that says very straightforward, it's okay to not be okay. We have people in this church who have suffered tremendous loss in the last year. And people in this church who are fighting cancer, job loss, losing a business, losing a home, losing a child seeing your plans fall apart. We have people struggling, fighting sin, struggling with parenting or whatever it might be. And and so we'll always proclaim it's okay to not be okay in your struggles against sin and the circumstances of life, right? But we know we're all desperate for God, but in the ultimate sense, we can declare and answer these three questions with a simple proclamation about the goodness of God. To be a Christ-confessing church doesn't mean that we just add evangelism on top of the normal stress and confusion that everyone else has in this world, right? To be a Christ-confessing church doesn't mean, hey, you, you gotta go about your day, you gotta figure everything out just like everybody else. And then you also gotta remember, you gotta be evangelizing people. To be a Christ-confessing church, first and foremost, means that we confess Christ to our own hearts and to each other and that we get to go out into the world with the benefit of people who have preached the gospel to their own hearts and who are not falling into temptations for idolatry. We get to go out into a world and proclaim Christ, confess Christ as people who do not have the same fears and worries and anxieties about who will take care of them and needing to carve out their life. And so it really sets us in a cool place, right? One more thing I wanna end with. I just wanna encourage you this morning as studying this week, it's cool to think about the context of this and Jesus, it says, is walking in the temple of Solomon. This is the rebuilt temple that's about to be destroyed in about 40 years. And John says it was during the Feast of Dedication, which is also known as the Festival of Lights, which is commonly called today Hanukkah? Yeah, okay, wow. All right, nobody knows Nobody knows how to spell Hanukkah either, right? It's just H and then a bunch of letters, okay? The Festival of Lights, Hanukkah, started in 165 BC, the rededication of the temple. It is cleansed, right? The temple is is the, the abomination, and then it's cleansed. I grabbed this quote from the ancient historian Josephus. He did his best to write down the history of the Jewish people and and what happened and why. And he wrote this and he described the origin of the feast of dedication, which is now called Hanukkah. He wrote, and from that time to this time, we celebrate this festival and we call it lights. 
And I suppose the reason was because this liberty beyond our hopes appeared to us. This word appeared means, you can translate it to shine upon us, which is why they call it lights. What he's saying is that at this time when the temple was overrun and and desecrated, they, they had no hope. And that God showed up at a time and gave them liberty beyond their hopes. In the darkest time of their lives, God gave them victory and they called it lights. <laughs> I love that in that moment when God showed up in a dark time, they had no clue that, that 200 years later, Jesus would be walking in that very temple as God himself and declaring, I and the Father, I and the Father are one and I am the good shepherd. I think time and time again throughout history, God has given us liberty beyond our hope, beyond what his people can hope for. And God does this today. And so I don't know what this last year looked like for you, and I don't know what this next year is starting to look like for you, but I do know that we have a God who gives us liberty beyond our hope. And this is so different from what the idols of our world promise to us, giving us nothing back in return. Instead, we have Jesus, who's a good shepherd, who gathers us up as his sheep in love and peace and comfort. There's nothing in this life that we can put our hope in that is like the good shepherd. Money is not a good shepherd, and status is not a good shepherd, and worldly accomplishments are not a good shepherd. Having spreadsheets and strategies is not a good shepherd. Having backup plans and insurance plans and escape plans for a number of things that could go wrong. These things are good ideas, but they cannot guard your soul. They cannot hold your soul secure. And so we get to be, Village Church, the people of God who confess Christ and confess that we have something much better, right? May we always be this way until we see him face to face, amen? Yeah. I wrote down some good news for us this morning. I think it's just simple. In a world filled with empty idols, God's people have a perfect shepherd to delight in and declare to ourselves and those around us, yeah? All right, would you pray with me? Well, God, we just, um, we gather together and, Confessing you is really why we gather. We get to do it together. We, we confess how good you are throughout our days and our weeks individually, and we confess the truth of you when we're alone in our cars, but how good it is to be your people and open up your word and just see just a piece of how good you are and get to be together and declare together that you are good, that, that you are worth putting our trust in. And God, we just confess that that there's just so many things that are just calling out to us and saying that they are trustworthy and that that they are the path to feeling more peace and feeling more protection and comfort. And God, we live in a world that, um, that can pull us in so many directions and yet we just wanna be your people. We wanna sit at your feet and we just wanna be the children of God. And so we thank you, God, that you've given us each other. We ask that you would help us to be a church that 
that confesses the truth of you to ourselves, to our own hearts, and that, and that this would allow us to go out into a world that needs you. We pray, God, that in the ways that we interact with our world and our culture, that we would get to do that as, as people who have been transformed by the truth of who you are in our own hearts. And we pray that this would impact our, our lives, our families, our church. We thank you, God, you're a good God. And we pray that we would worship you now as you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.